Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning. If you're newer to our church, or maybe you're just oblivious to what's going on at our church, you've been here a while. Since I've been the pastor here, I've taken the month of May or sometime in the spring, I've taken a month, and we've taken that time and looked at the Christian home. And I, um, I, I hope that uh, this year you'll sit up and listen. I, I really try to come at it from a different angle each year and not just repeat the same, uh, the same sermons from the same angles. I try to keep it fresh. And uh, this year, instead of giving you uh, a list of particulars of what you can do, we're going to look at a more philosophical approach to how to build a Christian home. And if you can get the principles uh, that guide a Christian home uh, in place, then a lot of the particulars sort of take care of themselves and developing the right mentalities. And so uh, the sermon today, I'll, I'll ebb and flow in and out of marriage and parenting, and we'll look at those topics. I will also say this, even if you're single, not married, adult, living on your own, uh, there will be some things said in here today that will challenge you and encourage you as well just about how to be a more spiritual person, how to uh, walk, uh, walk through life, how to run your race and, and be a more godly person. And so this morning I believe the sermon will help you. Before we uh, read the passage, I, I want to put in another plug for this evening sermon. Please, please, please tune in. I am going to be looking at, in my, what in my opinion, uh, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on the number one destroyer of homes, the number one destroyer of people, the number one destroyer of relationships, both in and out of home, work relationships and um, friendship relationships. And uh, I, I think when uh, I lay the case out for you this evening, you're going to see what it is. And uh, you're, you, I think you'll be in agreement with it. And it's something that needs to be dealt with. It's something that needs to be handled uh, I believe that what I'll address tonight is the main cause of rebellion in the heart of teenagers. What I'm going to address tonight is the main reason why couples divorce uh, or uh, maybe even just have a limited intimacy within their marriage. And uh, tonight we're going to address it from a scriptural standpoint. I've put as much work into this evening's sermon as I've put into uh, most, if not any, sermon I've ever preached. Hours and hours of study and compiling quotes and um, uh, uh, refining and, and whatnot, I know it will encourage you. I know it will help you. If it doesn't help you directly, somebody in your life needs the material, and uh, it will help you to know how to handle uh, someone that has that struggle. So please, this evening at 6 o'clock, tune in. If you're not able to do that, go back later on YouTube or Facebook and watch the message uh, it will help you. But let's look this morning at the construction of a Christian home. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. We're going to be reading from verse 9 down through verse number 15. The Bible says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed now uh, how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, uh, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, this is a passage that uh, I've preached out of before. Uh, If you're a Christian and you've been listening to preaching for any length of time, you've probably heard sermons preached out of this passage before. But we're going to look at it uh, in particular as this passage would pertain to the Christian home. The title of the sermon this morning is this, A Spiritual Home. And we're going to talk about how to develop a home that is spiritual. Let's pray. Lord, take the few minutes we have here together, and Lord, instill, uh, help just reshape our thinking. I think of Philippians 2.5, where we're told to have the mind of Christ, let it to be in us. I think of Romans 12, where we're told to not conform, but have our minds transformed. Uh, Lord, we need a transformation of our thinking when it comes to how to do the Christian home, how to build a Christian home. Uh, how to have a spiritual home. Lord, lots of carnality seeps in through all sorts of ways into our homes, and we need to, uh, Lord, address it and see it and determine that from the husband and wife relationship to the parent-child relationship and the friendships uh, that uh, these people have within the home, Lord, that they're going to be spiritual. So help us as we establish some principles this morning. And, Lord, my prayer is that these people uh, listening in today these fine people listening in today would not just hear the word, but Lord would go forth and do the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I will say that as I was putting this together, this sermon this morning together, for the sermon uh, together, I didn't put it together this morning. Amen. I put it together before this morning. But as I was putting the sermon for this morning together, uh, I just kept saying to myself over and over again, I sure hope that people get it. I sure hope... They understand it. Because as I look around and I see how many people are doing the Christian home, it just feels that so many folks uh, aren't living it. And we go to church and we sit in a life group or we sit through a family month of preaching and very little changes, very little changes. And uh, I'll just say, uh, state the obvious here, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. And at some point, uh, things need to change. And I know there are a, a group of, of elderly folks. Elderly would be the wrong word. There's a group of grandfatherly folks, grandmotherly folks in our church. You can be a young grandpa. Amen, Pastor Morales. Uh, so uh, uh, there's a group of uh, grandparents in our church, and they, uh, they have seen their children grow up and not turn out so well. There are some divorced people in our folks in our church who look back on uh, the past relationships with regrets. Uh, there are people uh, who I could bring up here one after another, and they would say this, please listen, you younger folks who are in your prime of life, you younger folks who still have children at home, you younger folks who are just getting married, you younger folks who are newlyweds, please listen to the principles that Pastor Lejeune is sharing. Don't just listen to them with your ears. Listen to them with your heart. Evaluate the way uh, that you're doing the Christian home. Evaluate the way that you're living a Christian marriage and look at what the Scriptures say and embrace them. Oh, every time I preach a sermon on the home, I have three, four, five people who will meet me in the back of the auditorium, sometimes with tears in their eyes, and they'll say to me, where were you 30 years ago? Where were you 25 years ago when I needed this? Where were these principles and these truths? And uh, they wished they could have had 
teaching from the Word of God on the Christian home. And so if you are in that place, do not be guilty of letting it go in one ear and out the other and missing the mind and trickling down to a changing of the heart and the patterns. Please, please, please let the Word of God speak to the way that you're doing the Christian home. Now, the, to- the, the, the series of sermons we'll be looking at in the month of May in the morning is entitled, The Construction the building up of the Christian home. And have you ever, I'm just asking you this morning, have you ever built something? Uh, in order to do it correctly, in order to build something correctly, you must really work at it. Building something, depending on the complexity of it, is difficult. Now, I have learned this through life. Construction is hard, but destruction is easy. Construction is hard, but destruction is easy. I remember the first time that this dawned on me. I was a 12 or 13 year old boy, maybe 14 year old boy. We were living in the state of Alabama and uh, my father uh, was on staff at the Bethel Baptist Church in Hartsell, Alabama. And the new pastor came in and he wanted to renovate the office area. And he wanted to knock down some walls and uh, put up some new walls and, uh, and, and just remodel the office area altogether. And so they called for a work day in the church and all teenagers and grown men were encouraged to come and help with demo day. And so they turned off all the power to that part of the building and they brought out a bunch of sledgehammers and uh, a big construction sized trash bags and we uh we reared back and we knocked down some some not none uh, I, I, at least I hope none of them were load bearing walls but we knocked down a bunch of walls and I remember that day picking up that sledgehammer as a 14 or 15 year old boy and just whacking into that wall and thinking boy if this is construction I can do this this is easy and I remember I must have verbalized that, and one of the men there that day said, Son, this is not construction, this is destruction. Uh, anybody can do destruction. Not anybody can do construction. I remember after we knocked down all those walls and we got all the trash picked up, the drywall pieces and all the nails and uh, uh, just just loose uh, construction trash, and we got all that cleaned up and swept, and then the team came in to begin to frame out the walls and lay down the carpet and then tape and mud uh, the, the drywall and uh, redo the lighting and, and redo the wall outlets. And I remember watching and thinking, uh, no, I, I can't do that. Uh, we've watched as our lobby here at the church building has been uh, turned around. And I watched as Brother Eric Ferreira and uh, Brother um, uh, Carson Vara and Brother Mike Vara put a very large steel beam over here in our lobby. And I thought, no. I could never do that. Construction is hard. Destruction is easy. Construction takes thought and planning. Destruction is thoughtless and can be done on a whim. For a new building, uh, you need to do uh, you need to do a few things. Uh, you, for a new building to be a success, there are a few things that you need to do. The first thing you must do is you must secure the proper. Funding. You must secure the proper funding. Jesus talked about this, did he not, when he said that nobody should build a building or build a house unless he counteth first the cost. And so we know that before we start into a project, we should build a building. We've all seen buildings get built and stopped in the middle because the funding dried up. And boy, the people who started that project look foolish. So you must secure the funding. If you're going to build something, you must secure the proper location in order to uh, for, for where you're going to build that building. But maybe the most important uh, thing that you must secure if you're going to construct something is you must secure the right 
master builder. You must secure the right general contractor. You must secure someone who knows what they're doing. And you want someone who either has a lot of connections and can subcontract out that which they can't do, or you want someone who is really, really good at a whole bunch of different uh, things. Uh, So I posed the question a moment ago, have you ever built something? And my guess is all of us have constructed something. Maybe you've constructed something material, like a birdhouse. I took my kids to a Home Depot a couple of years back, and on a Saturday morning they allow children to come and, and, and build things, and they have a, like a DIY time for kids, and they gave them a kit, and they sat there and they uh, had to hammer nails into holes and build a birdhouse. And uh, So maybe you've built something like that, or, or maybe you've gotten one of those self-assembly kits. Uh, some assembly required. Have you ever got, gotten something that says some assembly required? And three hours later, you're throwing hammers through walls and you're uh, upset and you're storming out of the house and uh, you need a break. And uh, I remember we got our, my, our, our daughter, Angel and I's daughter, April, we got her a, a dollhouse one year for Christmas. And uh, it was a large dollhouse, about four feet tall. And it's funny, you get these kids these things, they play for them for a, with a few, for a few months, and then they just sit there and collect dust. And you're thinking, why did I buy that? I should have just given them a box. They have more fun with a box. Yeah, but uh, I remember buying that, and uh, we couldn't put it together. There's nowhere to hide it. We couldn't put it together until after she went to bed Christmas Eve. Uh, and so I tried to get her to bed as soon as possible and make sure she was asleep. And then out came the box, and a lot of prayer went in ahead of time. See, for me, to do a, some assembly required, I've got to spend a couple of hours in prayer so I don't lose my temper in the process. Otherwise, it's, it gets ugly. Now, but we got that thing put together. I think we went to bed at 2 or 3 in the morning. And listen, there's a sense of satisfaction. Now, um, there's one piece of furniture. Rather, there's one place that sells furniture where I am not capable of constructing their uh, furniture. Can any of you guess where that place would be? They, they have a large blue store along I-95. Uh, Ikea. You need to go to school to get a engineering degree before you can assemble their stuff. Uh, but whenever you get through putting it together, boy, you sure feel uh, accomplished, don't you? Construction takes time. Construction takes energy. Maybe you've never built anything material, but maybe you have worked to build something that is more immaterial in nature. Uh, do you know that a reputation takes time to build? Build. You've got to really put a lot of work into building a good reputation. Do you know that having good health, that takes time to build? You've got to make proper dietary choices, and you have to have the right workout regimen to be in shape, and uh, you, you, you've got to really invest in that. You, you, you construct good health. You don't stumble upon it on accident. Maybe another observation between construction and destruction is that construction is done purposefully. Destruction can be done accidentally. Uh, But uh, maybe you've built a business and a business, boy, if you're going to build a solid business out of nothing, you you just start with a a couple of hundred dollars and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you you work hard and you put in blood, sweat and tears and you're uh, up early or or you get up early and you stay up late and you, uh, you eat, sleep and breathe that business. And boy, you work on building something. I think of pastors that work to build the church of God. 
God's church and to see that grow. And uh, boy, there's a lot of effort that's put into it. These are items that we take and uh, the lead and we make it happen in order to build a birdhouse, in order to build a house, uh, in order to build a reputation, in order to build a business. Uh, these are things that we take the lead and we make happen and we make conscious choices and we can be in charge or assign someone to be in charge. But how about the construction of a Christian home? Who is to be the master builder or the general contractor here? Is it to be the children? Boy, I've seen some homes where it appears that the children are in charge. The children call the shots. I've seen homes where the children boss the parents around. And the parents do what the children say. Is that God's plan, to have the children build the home? You'll have as much success having a child build a home as you would having me master be the master builder or general contractor of a complex uh, along Bridgeport Avenue right now. They're building a very large complex. If you dropped me in the middle of that and told me to make it happen, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. And uh, if you are putting your children in charge and letting them tell you what to do, dictate to you, um, uh, then, uh, my friend, you are not going to end up with a constructed Christian home you're going to end up with destruction. How about the wife? Is the wife to be the master builder? Now, I won't dwell here, but I'm going to say that this is the one that is the most prominent in our society today. And I believe there's two reasons for that. Uh, the first reason is that men have become emasculated. They don't have a backbone to stand up to their wife and their children. And uh, nor do they have the energy to care. Uh, this world is filled with men who come home from work and They want the children and wife to leave them alone for their own leisure time. And the children are, the wife is expected to help the kids with the homework, and the wife is expected to bathe the kids, and the wife is expected to correct the children, and the wife is expected to be both the nurturer and the disciplinarian, and the husband is, is, he's present in body, but he's absentee in spirit. And so the wife is left uh, to take care of these matters. Uh, but that's not the only reason. I believe also that while men have become emasculated, women have become uh, uh, masculine in nature. And they are strong. And they want to dictate to the husband what to do. And the husband doesn't want the battle. He doesn't want the fight. He gets wore down by a wife who won't come under and follow God's plan for the home. And so the husband will just eventually back down because he'd rather have peace in his marriage than uh, be obedient to the Lord. And the wife runs roughshod over the husband and the wife tells the husband what to do and the wife tells the husband how to discipline the kids and the wife wants to be the master builder. The wife wants to be the one that calls the shot in the Christian home. And I would say to you ladies listening in this morning, you may be more godly than your husband. You may be more spiritual than your husband. You may be more devoted in your faith to your husband. God did not call you to be the master builder of your home. If he's given you a husband and he's present in the home and he's active in trying to be a good dad to your children, then God called you to submit to his leadership and to follow him. Now, that's not politically correct, but that is spiritually correct. So who is to be the general contractor of a Christian home? Is it to be the children? Well, no. Is it to be the wife? Well, no. Is it to be the husband and father? No, it's not. Now, God does put the husband over the wife and the children to lead. But he is not to be the one that calls the ultimate shots to building a Christian home. Too many men 
lean on their own logic, their own experiences, their own upbringing, and they repeat generational sins and errors. They make mistakes in constructing a home that is their own version of Christianity, but is not biblical Christianity. Sir, God has called you to lead, but he's also called you to submit. Well, submit to who, Pastor? Am I supposed to submit to my children? Well, no. Am I supposed to submit to my wife? Um, There's some wisdom there at times, but ultimately, no. Who has God called you to submit to? He's called you to submit to himself. Who is to be the master builder of the Christian home? Is it to be the children? No. Is it to be the wife? No. Is it to be the husband? No. Is it to be the Lord? Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. Right there. That's the one who is to build your home. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waiteth but in vain. It is to be the Lord who is the master builder of a of a Christian home, of a spiritual home. So let's look at the pecking order, if you will, within a Christian family. Now, this um, again, this is not politically correct. Nothing in this series uh, will be politically correct. So just as a forewarning, if you follow uh, the, uh, the, the culture, if you want to let the culture dictate to you how to do family, then go ahead and follow their model. And what you'll find is a divorce rate of 50%. What you'll find is rebellious children uh, who uh, 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 struggle through life and have a, a very strained relationship with their parents. And what you'll find is children who are brainwashed by a secular world that wants to tell them that God is not real. And so if you want that model, you'll have to look elsewhere. We're going to look at God's model here and understand that flies in the face of culture. The pecking order is is God, dad, mom. Now, if you don't have any children, God, husband, wife. God, dad, mom. And then below that is children. So God, uh, children submit to mom. Mom submits to dad. Dad submits to God. God calls the shots. Uh, God tells dad how to love mom and the kids. God tells mom how to submit to dad and how to uh, love the children uh, along with their husband. And God tells the children how to submit to mom and dad uh, uh, individually and together. And God tells the children how to submit to him. And so we see here that God has placed his authority in that order. It's God. It's Dad or husband, it's mom or wife, and that then it is the children. My topic this morning is developing a spiritual culture within your home. A spiritual culture. Let me take a pause here and just uh, say this. When I was uh, a young man, I was... Uh, 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 newly wed, um, Angela and I didn't have any kids yet. We were serving the Lord at Rosedale Baptist Church in Baltimore. Uh, we were uh, working along with Pastor Morales there. He was the Spanish pastor, and Angela and I were helping him uh, with the ministry there. And uh, there was a couple, I, I, for the life of me, can't remember their names. I remember they were Puerto Rican. I remember that he was a police officer. His wife was a, a, a hair, uh, did, did hair, or was a salonist, and uh, they lived in a nice home, and they had two 
or three kids, and they were part of that ministry for a short time. Pastor Ross, you may even remember their names, but uh, I, I remember that they invited us over to their house, and Angela and I went over, and, and Angela had made a strong connection with the wife, and uh, that we're there, and he's giving me a tour of their home, and, and I remember they were faithful to church every Sunday, and he walked me into his uh, uh, 12-year-old daughter's home. Now, this would have been back in 2000. Uh, 2009, 2000, uh, 2008, 2009, and he walked, uh, we walked into her bedroom and there was a poster of Hannah Montana on the wall. Hannah Montana, we now know her as Miley Cyrus. And I remember looking at that and cringing and cringing. Now, uh, the purpose of this is not to pick on Miley Cyrus or back then as she was known as her Disney um, uh, uh, alias, Hannah Montana. It's more to pick, make the point that this man was not allowing a spiritual culture to be developed in his home. He was allowing outside influences to come in and dictate to his children how to live. He was allowing sin to come into the home and lead the way. So when I talk about a spiritual culture this morning, I'm talking about everything that goes on in your home is either spiritual in nature or carnal in nature. It's either flesh driven or it's, or it's either flesh driven or it's spirit led. And so which is it going to be for you? My friend, it isn't about, uh, it isn't about just uh, follow this set of regimen, uh, follow this set of rules, have your children do this and not do this. No, it's a culture that we're seeking to develop within your home a culture of spirituality, a culture where doing right is the expectation, a culture of everything we allow from what we eat and our entertainment and where we vacation and whether or not we go to church and how often we go to church and uh, uh, how we obey and, and, and what rules we follow and, and, and what internet usage we allow and Everything that we do, not does it please the pastor, uh, not does it please mom or dad, uh, not, not does it please uh, some other spiritual influence in my life. It's a question of everything we do, does it please the Lord? Does it please the Lord? 1 Corinthians 3, look back there with me in your Bibles. And here's, um, here's the end game. We are... Um, we are preparing each other for eternity. We are preparing, husband and wife, you're preparing each other to stand before God one day and give an account. Mom and dad, you're preparing your children to give an account to God one day for the way they've lived their life. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 13. Every man's work. Real quick there, that doesn't just mean the males. That word man there means all of mankind, all of humanity, every breathing human being shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So I want you to imagine that uh, you're, you know, this is assuming that you've put your faith and trust in Christ to save you. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But to those of you who are saved, you will stand before God one day at something called the judgment seat. 
Uh, you will stand by yourself. Now, I, I am of the opinion that moms and dads will stand there together in, in relation uh, to their children. And I am of the opinion that husbands will stand there alone and give an account for uh, the way they've uh, handled their wife and uh, the way that they've handled their children. But you'll stand before God all by yourself. And I don't believe, this is my opinion, we might get to heaven and find out I'm wrong, I don't believe God's going to say a whole lot. I believe you'll stand there before a righteous, holy God all by yourself. Now, I want you to understand that this isn't just some theory. There is a physical throne room in heaven where you will stand one day. It may not be tomorrow, but one day you will stand there. And God is going to take the works of your life, and He is going to take the immaterial, and He's going to turn them into a material. And that material, it will represent your life work, and it will pass through a literal fire. And that which was done of the flesh, that which was done in carnality, will burn up as wood, hay, and stubble wood in a fire. That which was done uh, 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 in a spiritual sense, being led by the Lord, will be gold, silver, and precious stone, and you will be handed a crown at the end. So here's my question. When it comes to the way that you are being a husband or a wife, you're preparing your husband or your wife for this day. Is your husband going to have wood, hay, and stubble to present or gold, silver, and precious stones? Which direction are you pushing him? Uh, your wife, she's going to stand before God one day. Are you helping her through the journey of gold, silver, and precious stones? Or are you, you more pushing her toward a wood, hay, and stubble? How about your children? How about your children? Do you know that if your child's life achievement is to be a sports star, your, life, your child's life achievement is to be an entertainer, your child's life achievement is to follow some pursuit that isn't God's plan uh, for his life, can I tell you, you are pushing your child uh, toward wood, hay, and stubble. Boy, we're not developing a culture that is a spiritual home. Let me read for you Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. This is talking about the account given in 1 Corinthians 3. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Here's the truth. My behavior as a child, my behavior could bring grief to my parents when they give an account to God one day. Um, my wife's behavior could bring grief to me when I stand before God one day and give an account. Um, your behavior as a church member, under Pastor Brown, or under Pastor Peslak, or under myself, or wherever else you were a part of a church, your behavior under the watchful care of that pastor could bring grief to the heart of that pastor as he stands before God one day, because you did not follow the, 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 spiritual, the spiritual steps that God had laid out for you. And so we are to develop a culture at church. We are to develop a culture in our marriage. We are to develop a culture at home with our children that will bring about joy when we give an account one day. Now, uh, normally I have long, elaborate outlines. I don't today. I have two points and under the second point, I have just a couple of subpoints. And so, uh, let's jump into the outline this morning, and let's look at point number one: the foundation of salvation. The foundation 
of salvation. Pastor Moss, could you bring me that bottle of water right there? Thank you. The foundation of salvation. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Bible says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. This is Jesus speaking here. I have laid the foundation and another built thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now the foundation of a Christian home is salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, to state the obvious, you cannot construct a Christian home until you have the foundation of each member of your home being saved. Each member of your home being a Christian. This is controversial for some. I don't know that it's controversial for those who attend here regularly. But if you don't attend here regularly, this might take you by surprise. You cannot save your children. You cannot accept Christ for them. I wonder how many 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 18-year-olds who have parents that attend this church um, aren't saved themselves. I've known of pastor's children that have gotten saved in their 20s. Um, I've known of pastor's children who've been saved in their teen years. I've known of pastor's wives who've got saved after their, wife took the, after their husband took the pastorate. Um, just because you attend church, just because you have a good reputation at church, does not necessarily mean that your children are saved. Now, you cannot have... You cannot have a culture, uh, a, a Christian home, you cannot have a spiritual home, you cannot construct a Christian home until each individual in your home is saved. You say, well, pastor, um, uh, I can't save my children and, and I can't force them to get saved because that's a spiritual decision. So how do we go about doing this? And the key here to understand is creating the proper culture within your family that fosters a desire in the heart of your children to get saved. Now, when uh, Matthew and April were babies, and uh, up before they were old enough to understand the concepts of salvation, Angela and I prayed daily, daily that they would get saved. We would go to the Lord in prayer, not praying in front of them, but in our own prayer time and even together at times, we would pray that God would would, would allow our children to come to a saving knowledge uh, of, of Jesus Christ at an earliest age possible, that as soon as they were old enough to understand the concept of salvation, that they would get saved. So, parents, you can't force your children to get saved, and you can't save uh, your children uh, yourself from uh, the damnation of hell, but you can create the right culture within your home that will foster a desire in them to want to be saved. So, uh, some thoughts on this, okay? Some thoughts on this, and I hope that for those of you that have children under the age of four at home, under the age of five at home, that you'll listen up and really take note of what's being said here. And maybe you're already doing these things. Uh, maybe you can do them a little bit better. Um, uh, the first thing I want to say is that you, mom and dad, are shaping the view of God in the heart of that child. You are shaping the view of God. So we get our opinion, oftentimes, we get our opinion of who God is 
based on who our earthly father is. And so if you had a father who was angry all the time, you will probably view God as someone who is wrathful. If you had a, a, a dad who was a little bit more of a, a pushover or who was soft or who was less of a disciplinarian and more of a relational type, uh, then what you'll find is that you view God as being someone who just lets things go all the time and uh, uh, lets things roll off their back. And if you find, find that uh, your dad was distracted and didn't really pay a lot of attention to you or hurried up your conversation, uh, then you'll probably find that within your own heart you view that God uh, doesn't have the time to speak with you. If you grew up without a father in your life uh, uh, or uh, a father who is just in and out of your life or a father who is inconsistent in your life, then if you're not careful, you will superimpose those things on God. And so we have to, on purpose, reshape our view of God and realize that God has none of those imperfections. He is a perfect father. Now, please understand that to your two, three, four-year-old, your newborn, uh, two, three, four, five-year-old, you are larger than life. You are larger than life. You are superhuman almost to that child. And they view your ability to to, to nail a nail into a board or turn a screwdriver or uh, pick up something heavy and move it. Uh, they, they view uh, the size that you are and they just think my dad uh, is the strongest man in the whole world. My mom is the prettiest woman in the whole world. And my, my mom is the smartest woman ever to walk the face of the earth. And they reach an age where they realize those things aren't true, unfortunately. Uh, but um, they view you as almost a godlike figure. And so you are representing God in their life. Now with that said, what kind of culture are you creating? We know that for a child to be saved, he must first understand the difference between right and wrong. Right and wrong. Mom and dad, it's on you to teach your child between right and wrong. When your child um, uh, arches the back as a baby, boy, you have to show them that that rebellion is sin. And now you don't sit down a nine-month-old or lay down a nine-month-old and say, arching your back is a sin. But boy, there are ways of correcting that, are there not? You've got to teach them. And you've got to teach them consistently the difference between right and wrong. Or righteousness and sin as they're laid out in the Bible. You have to teach them that God loves them, but God hates that sin. You, and you've heard the phrase, love the sinner hate the sin, no doubt. Love, can a Christian love the sinner and hate the sin? And I would say yes, because God loves the sinner and he hates the sin. You know, I love my son and I love my daughter. Love them to death. Um, I love them about as much as a dad uh, can love his children. However, I do not love their character flaws. And they have them because I have them. Uh, I don't like it when my daughter lies to me. I don't enjoy it when my son gets an attitude with me. I don't enjoy it when my daughter disobeys me. Uh, I don't enjoy it when I see laziness uh, in, their, in their actions. I don't enjoy it uh, when I see 
uh, that they've stolen something. And uh, listen, you say, your children do those things? We all do those things from time to time. Does that mean that I love them less? No, I love them, but I hate their wrongdoing. And when we can teach our children that no matter what you do, I will love you, uh, but I will never love the wrongdoing in you, that's great. Parents that say things like, you're just bad, and uh, you're just terrible, and you don't know how to behave, and uh, I, I, uh, I wish you had never been born. I sure hope a phrase like that has never come out of your mouth. You are teaching them that they are their actions, and they're no, nothing else other than their actions, and they cannot be loved other than doing what's right. I'll also say this. Putting expectations on your child to come through on and basing your love for them on those expectations also hinders their ability to get saved. If I were to say to my son before I left for work, please cut the lawn when I get home, I want to see that the lawn is cut, and I were to come home and the lawn not be cut, and I walk in the door and he feels nothing but hatred from me the rest of the evening, what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him that he must do right in order to be accepted and loved. Now, I could, I could come home and correct him for not having obeyed me, but at the end of the day, my love for him should not be attached to his performance. My love for him ought to be there because I love him. When we teach our children that uh, the difference between right and wrong, we teach our children that we love them but hate their wrongdoing, we are teaching them the character of God. Here's another one. Teach them that there are consequences to their sin. The reason why I'm so... I, I, boy, I sure hope you hear me on this. The reason why so many people in today's culture struggle with the concept of hell is because when they were growing up, they were never punished for their sin. And because they never saw consequences for their own sin, they don't see why God would have consequences for sin. Justice demands punishment for wrongdoing. It demands it. Why? Because we get that model from God. Now, you can hate the wrong in your child, and you should punish them for their wrongdoing. And when you consistently show them, within the confines of your home, consequences for sin, boy, you are reinforcing in their heart and mind that hell is real. That hell is real. Accepting the concept that hell is real is a lot easier to a child who feels loved by his parents, but is punished for their wrongdoing. When you take a two-year-old and you love them regardless of how they behave, when you take a two-year-old and you teach them difference between right and wrong, when you take a two-year-old and you consistently punish them for their wrongdoing, you are setting them up, you are fostering a culture in your home where that child can understand the concept of salvation at a young age. Uh, Teach them the process of reconciliation and forgiveness. Now this one is huge. What is reconciliation? It's a bringing back together a broken relationship. Within my home, we have a spirit of peace 90% of the time, maybe 95% of the time. I get along with my wife most of the time. Uh, We have our bad days because we're we're humans and we sin. Um, uh, I come home and my children are at this point pretty well behaved. Again, they're not perfect, but they're pretty well behaved. And there is a cadence and order and a flow to our home. Now, it wasn't that way when they were two. It wasn't that way when they were one. It wasn't even totally that way when they were three or four. Boy, it was World War. It was was a war going on in our home, a breaking of a a sinful will within them. But we've gotten to a place where there's 
love and order in the home until they do wrong. Now, we don't stop loving them, but boy, for a small moment, that relationship is fractured by their wrongdoing. Isn't that how it works with God? Our sin fractures our relationship with Him. It fractures that eternal relationship with Him. What does it take... Again, I'm teaching, I'm teaching broadly here. I'm painting with a broad brush. And I want you to make the application at home. What does it take for reconciliation to happen when a child's done wrong? What should it take? It should take admission of guilt, punishment, and it should take remorse. Admission of guilt, punishment, remorse. Admission of guilt, punishment, remorse. When my children do wrong, what happens? I I send them to their room. I make them tell me what they did wrong. We go over from a biblical standpoint. Punishment is distributed. And then they show remorse. Then reconciliation and forgiveness are handed out and that relationship is restored. Now with God it's different. For salvation it's different. There needs to be the admission of wrongdoing. We must admit we're sinners to be saved. We must understand that we're broken in front of God. But we don't have to be punished, do we? Because Jesus was punished on the cross. And then we call out in our remorse and ask the Lord to forgive us. A couple more things here. Teach the difference between pride and humility. What is it that keeps people from heaven? Pride. Can we just be honest this morning? If someone does not bow their head and put their faith and trust in Christ, especially after it's been explained to them, it's because they're trusting their own senses and intellect. It's because they're too stubborn and too proud to humble their heart and exercise that faith. And so when we teach our children the difference between pride and humility, we are setting them up to be saved, to call on the name of the Lord all on their own. Um, uh, A couple more here. Teach them who Jesus is and what He did and why He did it. So how do you do that? Well, you can teach them at home and you ought to teach them at home. But you teach them at church. You teach them with a a, a good education, a biblical education. And I know that my children would come home from Sunday school. My children would come home from the Christian school um, uh, when they were little. uh, And now that they're doing a Christian homeschool curriculum. And they would tell me Bible stories. And I never told them those Bible stories. But because they were in that environment, they learn early on who Jesus is and what he did on their behalf. You, as a mom and dad, are aiming at their head... And then you let the Spirit of God work on their heart. These principles are the principles of salvation. And when you put them into practice from an early age with those children, what you'll find is that when that child is four, five, six, seven years old, boy, they are are already living in the system of salvation within your home from a physical sense, and they're ready to make that leap in a spiritual sense to be saved. Who is the foundation of a Christian home? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you cannot have, you cannot construct a Christian home unless you build it on the proper foundation. Now, um... Uh, I'm going to move on to point two here. Let me just finish uh, with this under point one. Um, If you have children in your home that are not saved, then mom and dad, you need to get down on your knees every day and pray that God saves them. If you are a wife and your husband is lost, but your children are saved, then you and your children 
need to pray daily for that husband to be saved. Uh, if there is anyone in your family that has not put their faith and trust in Christ to save them, then pray for them. Uh, I'd also add this. If you have children, just because you bring them to church does not mean that they're saved. Again, I mentioned pastor's kids who get saved in their 20s. That means they grew up through a pastor's home. Uh, they went all the way through their childhood years being drugged to church. Drug babies. Amen, Pastor Morales? Uh, being drugged to church three times a week. And uh, 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 they, they, they sat there. They heard thousands of sermons. They probably attended Christian conferences. They looked apart. They talked apart. They acted apart. They dressed apart because in part they were forced to uh, or, or felt uh, pressured to. But they never truly put their faith and trust in Christ. I would say this to you. If you look at the life of your child, mom and dad, and, and you don't see any evidences that they're saved, or those evidences are superficial in nature, then get down on your knees and pray that God will save them if they're not saved. The foundation of salvation. Let's move on to number two. Number two, the framework of sanctification. The framework of sanctification. Um, and now this is going to get very, very practical for both marriages and uh, and parents of children. All right, look with me at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Look at the last part of that verse. And another buildeth thereon, but let every man, let every human take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So we're given the foundation at salvation, and then it is on us to build the framework on top of that foundation. Look at verse 12, and we see the various building materials. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, that's one grouping, wood, hay, stubble, that's the other grouping. Let me break down these groupings into two uh, two philosophical uh, thoughts, two philosophies that uh, that homes are uh, used to build on top of the foundation. Letter A, notice, some choose happiness. Some choose happiness. Notice the building materials listed here. The first set, the first grouping of three, wood, hay, and stubble. What happens to wood, hay, and stubble if you put a fire around them? They burn up. We've all seen houses that have been burnt uh, there was a meat packing plant, a small meat packing plant, right around the corner from my house, uh, about a year ago, caught on fire in the middle of the night, and the whole thing burnt to the ground. It was it was built out of wood and uh, uh, the concrete foundation. No, the concrete didn't burn. The concrete was still there, but the rest of the building was just ash. It burnt to the ground, and so wood, hay, and stubble would be represented by homes that are built on or, or built a, a framework of. Uh, happiness, of happiness. And this is the idea that I am trying to find happiness. I got married to be happy, and I want to be happy, and I want my uh, spouse to be happy, and I want my children to be happy. And if happiness is the end goal, boy, uh, then a lot of our decision making will not be biblical. Look, look at what Luke 8 verse 14 says. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they had heard, go forth and are choked with what? Cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. So cares, riches, pleasures. Wood, hay, stubble. Cares, riches, pleasures. You know what cares are? 
boy, that's, uh, that, that, that's caring about things that are going to make me happy. You know what riches are? That's, that's stockpiling money so that I can have all of the things to have financial security and buy those things that make me happy. You know what pleasures are? Boy, that's running here to an amusement park. That's going here for a weekend getaway. That's, uh, uh, that's making pleasure the end goal. Now, let me just be clear here. There, it, there's nothing wrong with cares, riches, and pleasures. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. In fact, last night at the dinner table, the conversation around our dinner table was where we're going to take a vacation this summer and uh, getting the children's input. Boy, there's, those are appropriate and it's time, you need to take time to get away. But are you living to be happy? Is the end goal happiness? I see too many, I'm having a hard time turning pages here. Um, those of you that don't know, I, uh, I got um, uh, into an accident with a table saw about a month ago. And I'm most of the way better, but I'm not quite there. So uh, if you're just tuning in and you wonder what happened to my hand, uh, that's what happened. Now, we have an American view of convenient Christianity I want to speak to for a minute. The idea is this. I show up to church on Sunday... I do my time, if you will, and then I go home and everything else in my life is, you know, up to me. I can uh, sort of blend uh, church and, and work and school and culture at large and just sort of have a conglomeration of the best of both worlds. Um, I can be in love with Jesus Christ and I can be in love with money. I, I can, I can uh, uh, go to church on Sunday and maybe even go to the bar here and there on Friday. And, and I'm going to tell you where this comes from. It comes from a pursuit of just me wanting to be happy. What makes my flesh happy right now? I can read my Bible uh, in the morning and then turn around and gorge my stomach in the evening. One feeds the spirit and one feeds the flesh. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating a big meal. But, but I'm more talking about a larger sense here is we're, we're just looking to appease the spiritual side a little bit here and then appease the flesh over here. And, and the end goal is happiness. And if my, my wife is happy with me, then I'm good. If my husband to the ladies, my husband is happy with me, then I'm good. If my children, I'm getting along with them and, you know, they're not causing me too many trouble, uh, too many problems, then we're good. If my boss is happy with me, then I'm good. And, and, and happiness becomes what we look for. What do I have to do to make sure that my wife is happy. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll go wherever I've got to go. I'll buy whatever I've got to buy. I'll, 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 whatever her expectation is or whatever his expectation is, I must see happiness. That framework is wood, it's hay, and it's stubble. And Christian families all over this country, all over this world, are going to stand before God one day, and husbands are going to have their work put into a fire, and most of it will have been wood, hay, and stubble with a few gold uh, specks, a few gold nuggets sprinkled here and there of righteous doing. And, and, and parents are going to have their parental work shoved in a fire, and, and it's going to come out on the other end of that judgment seat, and you're going to be handed wood, hay, and stubble. Why? Because you were not pursuing the right thing. You built on top of the foundation of salvation a framework that was pursuit of happiness. Happiness is temporary. 
Happiness is temporary. It comes and it goes. And you must look for the next hit to be happy. Uh, pursuing happiness also leads to a selfish home. Why? Because at some point, I'm going to quit worrying about whether or not Angela is happy. And I'm going to worry about my happiness. And I'm going to say, well, what about me? What about my happiness? And, and Angela, if that was the attitude, well, what about me? What about my happiness? And the children, what about me? What about my happiness? And that is not the goal. So uh, uh, then you would ask, Pastor, is it sinful to have a happy home? <laughs> Clearly not. Clearly not. I want a happy home. God wants you to be happy. But he doesn't want you to make happiness the ultimate goal. Okay, Pastor, lay it on us. What is the ultimate goal? Letter B, God's call for holiness. God's call for holiness. Oh boy, I hope this sinks into some hearts this morning. Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 3 again. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Those first three. Gold, silver, precious stones. I'm going to close my Bible instead of preaching off my notes. I'm just going to preach to you from my heart right here. I've been married for 12 years. It'll be 13 years this June. Uh, My son, Matthew, turned 11 yesterday. My daughter is 9. When I got married, I thought I knew what I was getting into. I had no idea. The day I held my son in my arms, there at the hospital, I thought I knew what I was getting into. I didn't have a clue. You see, I, uh, I thought that happiness was, was what I was after. And then we had some hardships hit our family. Marital strain and days where the kids weren't behaving right. And boy, um, within the first few years of our marriage, we had some pretty heavy trials. Put strain on our marriage. We've had trials that didn't separate us in our marriage, but um, trials that we walked through together, that we wept and held each other and cried. And I, I, I have asked God more than one time, if you love us, why are you allowing this to happen? God, we're serving you. We've given our life to Christian ministry full time. God, I'm not looking to get rich off of this. I... I just want to provide for my family and love people. And the Lord made it clear to me after one of these big trials we'd walked through, Richard, I'm not trying to make you happy. I'm trying to make you holy. Richard, I'm not trying to make Angela happy. I'm trying to make her holy. Richard, I don't want your children to be happy I want them to be holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Holiness is is being made into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Holiness is 
a leaving behind of a sinful lifestyle and living of a spiritual lifestyle. On more than one occasion in my marriage, I've watched my wife going through a hardship. And I've had the power, the ability to step in and stop it. And I wanted to in my flesh rise up and beat my chest and say, See there? I'm your man. See there? I took care of it. See there? I made the problem go away. Are you happy? And I've had to look at her and say, Angela, I can see that God is trying to make you holy. Angela, God is bringing you through a hardship right now because He's refining you. It's not my place to get between you and your Maker. It's not my place to get between you and your Savior. There have been times where I've looked at my children and I've seen them go through growing pains. I've seen them struggle with a relationship, a friendship. And I've wanted to step in as a dad and, and, and let some other child have it. I've wanted to step in as a dad and tell some authority figure to take it easy on my child. I've wanted to step in and, 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 and beat my chest and say, Now are you happy, son? Now are you happy, daughter? But instead, I've had to look at my children and say, God is working to make you holy. Oh, I'm not advocating that you not protect your children. But I am advocating that you let God do a work in your children's life. You know, as a Christian, there's some things we have to sacrifice. As Christians, there's some things that we don't get to do that the world calls fun. But if the end goal is to build a holy home, then my friend, you will have a happy home. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. Do you hear what I just said? As I become holy, and my wife becomes holy, and my children become holy, happiness happens all by itself. But as I inject sin or allow sin into the culture of my home, boy, what I'll find is hardship and hurt. Dad, God has not called you, husband, God has not called you to stop pain, especially when God's the one bringing it about. God has not called you just to get married, just to have a companion, to have fun. God has called you to prepare each other for that judgment day. You know the happiest moment I'm going to have as a husband? You know the happiest moment I'm going to have as a father? When I'm standing off to the side in heaven, and I'm watching my wife stand before God, and I'm watching the work of her life pass through that fire, and if there are crowns that come out of the other side and are handed to her from that gold, silver, and precious stone, boy, nobody in eternity is going to be happier than this guy right here. Nobody in heaven is going to be more thrilled to see my children receive crowns to lay back at the feet of Jesus than this dad and, and my wife. We'll stand there together and we'll weep together. We'll rejoice together because no, we didn't pursue happiness on earth. We pushed each other to be holy. I could stand up here this morning and I could give you a laundry list of things to do and not do at home. But if you can have the foundation of salvation laid, 
You can live under the principle of building a framework of holiness. The laundry list will take care of itself. Moms and dads, you need to shut the live stream off here in a few minutes and you need to get alone and pray. Then you need to look at your habits at home and you need to talk about what you can change to pursue holiness, to push each other to be more like Christ. Boy, it changes your schedule. It disrupts your life, but it does so for the better. Lord, this morning as we begin this series of construction of a Christian home, Lord, I want to begin by praying for those that live within a home that aren't saved. Lord, it's so hard to build a Christian home when you don't have the support of the other spouse. It's hard to build a Christian home when not everyone's on board. And so, Lord, first I pray that you would help tender those hearts. Help mom and dads of young children to create a culture where the children want to be saved. And then, Lord, may we submit to your leading. Give us a culture a spiritual culture within our homes. Help us to pursue holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.